Welcome to the Truth Wars Podcast with Dr. Olin Stubbs. Olin has recently published a new book titled Bible Crawling, Finding Joy in God by Journaling Through the Psalms. You can find Olin's book on whipandstock.com. That's W-I-P-F and stock.com, as well as amazon.com. Now, here's Olin. Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. And while you turn there, I'm going to pray for us. Father, would you fill us full of the Holy Spirit? Would you help us to listen well tonight? Would you help us to learn? Would you help us to remember? Would you help us to apply? Lord, I do pray that for every single person that's hearing this, there would be a sense of you drawing near to us personally and applying Your Word to our hearts, to our lives, to the unique season that we might be in right now. Lord, I pray for this whole conference that You would be raising up leaders and laborers, and specifically that You would be raising up people that would want to go overseas to give their life away that the nations may know. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, Matthew chapter 28, we're going to look at what's called the Great Commission. Um, show of hands. I say the Great Commission. How many of you ever say, I've, I've heard that phrase before. Raise your hand. Let's see. Okay? That's really good. How many, if I said, hey, could you tell me what the Great Commission is? You think you could do it? Raise your hand. Okay? Still a lot. Not quite as many. Barna. You've probably heard of Barna. It's a Christian research company. In 2018, they asked Christians basically that question. Have you ever heard of the Great Commission? of Christians, churchgoers at least, said no, never even heard of it. It's pretty bad. 6% said, I'm not sure, like don't know. Only 17% said, yes, I've heard of the Great Commission and I can tell you exactly what it is. There was 20-some percent that said, I think I've heard of it, but I don't remember, I have no clue what it is. That's pretty bad. If Christians don't know what the Great Commission is. I mean, it was Jesus' last words to the church. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. Okay? Now, we're going to pick up Matthew chapter 28. This is after the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. Judas is already betrayed him. He's gone. He's out of the picture. But this is mainly focused on the 11 disciples. And let's look at what happened starting in Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw Him, they worshipped, but some doubted. Now just pause there for a second. Think about everything that the disciples have been through. they've, They've seen the risen Christ. They've seen the greatest miracle of all time. But they're still struggling with some form of doubt. Now literally the word that's there for doubt, it doesn't maybe mean doubt in the way that we always understand it. It's more of like a wavering more of a hesitancy. The only other time that word for doubt is used exactly the same way in the book of Matthew is a story about Peter walking on the water. Are you familiar with that story? Like Jesus is walking on the water and Peter says, hey Jesus, if that's you, tell me and I'll come out there to you. And Jesus says, come on. And Peter jumps out and at first, Peter is living the miracle. He is walking on top of the water. But then at some point, he gets distracted. He starts looking at the waves. He gets worried He starts to hesitate. He starts to doubt a little bit. There's a wavering. There's a double-mindedness. And he starts to sink. Now, think about what was probably going through Peter's mind in that moment. 
I don't think it's literally like he's walking on the waves, looking at Jesus, saying, I believe Jesus is God. I believe Jesus is real. I believe Jesus has power. And then the next second he's like, I don't believe Jesus is real. I don't believe Jesus is God. I don't believe he's all right. I don't think it was that drastic. It was much more subtle. It was just he momentarily got his eyes, his gaze, his focus off of the Lord Jesus onto the wind, onto the waves, onto the circumstances, and he just got overwhelmed. Now that sounds a lot more like what we go through just about every day, doesn't it? You've been down here on on Summer Beach Project? I bet some of you have had days where you go into work, and for some reason, maybe there was a great talk at the meeting last night, Maybe you have a great time alone reading the Bible. And you go in bold and you're like, dude, I'm sharing with everybody at work today. And you get there, you pull up in your car, and within the first 30 minutes at work, you're in like this great evangelistic conversation with a coworker. And then maybe you try to strike up another conversation at lunch, and it doesn't go very well. And by the afternoon, you're like, I'm not even sure I'm a Christian. What's wrong with me? Why did that go so bad? Now, that that might be a little bit drastic. But you understand what I'm saying? Our lives are often an emotional and spiritual roller coaster, are they not? And let, let me just tell you, part of maturity is hopefully the roller coaster is not near as drastic, but I've been doing this thing a long time now. It never fully goes away. Even on your best days, there will be moments of hesitancy. But even on your worst days, if you're a real Christian, there'll be tiny bright spots of faith and hope. So, I want you to see this. The 11 disciples, they walked with Jesus for years. They saw Him at His worst, so to speak, in the garden when He's praying and He's crying out and He's sweating blood and He's arrested. And then He's dead. And then He's back. And still, they see the resurrected Jesus. I mean, how many of us, I wonder, say, man, if I could just actually see a physical miracle... Not just read about them, like see it, touch it. These guys had that. And still sometimes they still struggle with doubt. Okay. We're in good company, if that's you. When you feel overwhelmed by life, by the circumstances. And Jesus is going to say some words here that for them and for us, because really he wasn't just talking to the 11 disciples, that's why they wrote it down, so that we could read it. He's speaking to all Christians throughout all time and history. It ought to change the way that we think and that we feel about Jesus. So the first point is about this. It's about power. It's about power. Look at what Jesus is going to say. Starting verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I love this. Notice, they're they're kind of hesitating. They're wavering with a little bit of doubt. And what does Jesus do? He doesn't get angry. He doesn't yell at them. He doesn't start scolding them and beating them and pulling their hair out. He lovingly and graciously takes a step towards them. He's warm. He's inviting. He initiates. He moves towards them. And he says, guys, I got good news for you. All the power in all the universe is mine. I own it. I know life is hard sometimes. I know there are circumstances that cause you to doubt, to waver, to hesitate, but it shouldn't. Think about what you know about the four different gospel accounts in the Bible about Jesus and the disciples. A lot of what he spent his time doing was casting out demons. You remember some of those stories? 
Sometimes they were casting out demons. Sometimes the disciples were doing it. One time they even came across this crazy guy that said he had a legion of demons, like a whole army of demons. Jesus would be healing people. But sometimes the disciples would try to cast out the demon or heal somebody and they couldn't do it. And there was even one story, this is really weird, where Jesus is praying for a guy to be healed and it's like the first time it doesn't fully work. You remember that story? There was a blind guy. Jesus prays for him. He says, can you see? And the guy's like, ah, kind of. Not, I mean, this is my paraphrase, but he's like, not really. It's like I kind of see people, they look more like trees moving around. And Jesus has to pray for him a second time. Guys, the Bible presents planet Earth as a war zone. As a, ever since Genesis chapter 3, planet Earth has been a battle zone. And it will stay that way until the end of history. Jesus' is coming, Jesus' is life, Jesus' death, Jesus' is resurrection was like God landing his invasion force on the beach and gaining a foothold. But there's still a battle that's raging. I mean, even in Ephesians 2, years later, Paul's writing, and he talks about Satan, and he calls him the prince of the power of the air. Satan still has a lot of influence on planet Earth to hurt people. And yet Jesus says, but at the end of the day, I have all power. I have the ultimate influence. I have all control. Don't worry. Don't be fearful. I'm going to win in the end. I'm in charge and I change everything. I can do what I want with men, with women, with angels, with demons. I want to just read three passages. Just stay here in Matthew. I just want you to listen to these three passages that are all from the Old Testament. But just listen to them about the power that God has. This is Job chapter 42, verse 2. Job talking to God. He says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. No one can stop you, God. Here's my personal translation of that verse. God does whatever the heck He wants to. Okay? Psalm chapter 115. Listen to this one. It's a really short psalm. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to Your name give glory for the sake of Your steadfast love and Your faithfulness. Why should the nations say, where is their God? Now just put yourself in the mind of the guy that's writing this. He's saying, God, why should these pagan nations who don't believe in the one true God, why should they look at us and mock us and say, their God isn't real? Where is their God? And here's what he says in verse 3. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that He pleases. That's ultimate power. God can do whatever He wants, whenever He wants, however He wants. He has all power. And then listen to Daniel chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 34 and 35. This was a pagan king called Nebuchadnezzar that eventually trusted in the one true God because he'd seen so much of God's power. Listen to this. Daniel 4, starting in verse 34. I'm just going to start kind of in the middle. He says, I blessed the most high and praised and honored Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And He does according to His will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay His hand or say to Him, What have you done? You understand what He's saying there? I mean, technically, somebody can say to God, what have you done, God? I don't know if this thing's going to stay up here where it ought to, okay? But can y'all hear me in the back? 
even without the microphone, as it were. Okay? But better with the microphone, I guess. All right. You can say to God, what have you done, God? But it doesn't do any good. Right? I mean, Tyler was up here kind of making the announcements. He's in charge of this weekend, this Project 67. And if he walked in the back and he saw, you know, the way that the lead guys have set up the table and he didn't like the positioning of the table, Tyler might say to them, what have you done? This is not where I told you to set up the table. Move it over there. And they would have to move it over there because Tyler's in charge. But nobody can say to God, God, what have you done? You need to change what you're doing. Because God does whatever the heck He wants. He has all power. Second point. But there's a process. There's a process that God wants to unleash His power through. He's got a plan where He wants to focus His power. Back to Matthew chapter 28. Look at verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. You could just say it this way. It's like He's saying to the disciples, saying to us, You, disciple the nations. How many of you came down here this summer uh, in a leadership position? Either as like a team leader, a room leader. Okay, let's see, show hands, all right? Right, and y'all get here like a couple of days early, right, for a little bit of orientation, and they tell you, hey, you're going to be discipling these two freshmen from this other school, or three, four, maybe, and maybe one person got like five people. What's the most people anybody got in the room? Just somebody shout it out. Put your hand up. We got four. Four was the most. Anybody got five? This guy got five right here. Sucker. All right. You know, anybody anybody else got five? Okay. Another guy got five. He's too humble to admit it. All right. Here's the thing. Imagine if you got down here and they said, hey, guess what? You disciple just all the nations. Everybody. In a sense, that's what Jesus is saying. Disciple the nations. Reach the nations. Get this gospel to everybody. Make disciples of all the nations. Why did he start out with this big promise about I have all power? Because the command he was about to give is going to be massively overwhelming if we think it's all up to us. It will be a crushing burden you can't bear. You don't want to bear. So he's saying, I've got all power. And in light of that, go make disciples of all the nations. And what's the process? Let's just keep going there. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So it's really a two-part process. Baptizing is, is really just the idea of evangelizing. Go meet people that aren't already Christians. Talk to them about me. And then bring them into the church. Lead them to Christ. Lead them to a point of true faith, true repentance, trusting in me. But then it doesn't stop there. Listen, to really become a Christian, there's only about five or six things you have to believe. I mean, there's, there's kind of really bare minimum requirements to be a Christian. You can be really ignorant and be a Christian. I mean, some people become Christians when they're little kids. We won't do this, but I bet you there's some people in this room that are like, I can't even remember where I became a Christian. I was so young. Four, five, six... To become a Christian, there's not much you have to understand and believe. Just five or six really important truths. But then look at the second part. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And this is really discipleship proper. Training them. Mentoring them. Coaching them up, so to speak. And the idea is, once somebody says, 
I love Jesus because He first loved me. I commit to Jesus. I want to walk with Jesus. I want to be saved by Jesus. In one sense, it's an easy first step to get in, and then it's a lifetime of learning. Because what are you supposed to learn? Everything. You're never going to... Listen, if you live to be 119 years old and you're the smartest person in here and you get three different PhDs, you'll still be swimming in the shallow end of God. You'll never quit learning. I don't even think we're going to quit learning when we get to heaven in eternity forever and ever because He's infinite. But that's, that's too overwhelming to think about right now. <laughs> what does it mean to disciple... You lead somebody to Christ to whatever degree they're in your sphere of influence. You're trying to teach them to obey every single thing that Jesus has ever commanded. All the Scriptures. Again, it's overwhelming. But aren't we glad that He said, I've got all power. I can empower you. I can enable you to do this. Now just really practically for a second. There are two different ways to do this. There's more of a formal way Man, when I get back to Troy this next semester, I'm fired up. I'm going to start a Bible study on my dorm hall. That's good. There's formal ways to say I'm going to share my faith. I'm going to try to disciple people. Good. You ought to be involved in stuff like that. But there's also informal ways. Just as you are going. Just normal life. You're at a party. You're traveling somewhere. You're on a plane. You're at the gym working out. You just try to talk to random strangers. Do you know Christ? I mean, here, here's the, guys, here's the easiest way for you guys, most of y'all, to share your faith in the next month or two. You run into people back home, high school friends, back at college, college friends. Hey, what'd you do this summer? And they talk about whatever they did. Worked on a dude ranch, stayed at home and played video games, whatever. And then at some point, they'll probably say, well, what'd you do? And you go, well, let me tell you about it. And don't like emotionally vomit up on them all the good and bad of the summer, okay? But do try to be purposeful about trying to say, listen, you don't have to try to say the whole gospel every time, but try to say something that will at least make them think in a better way about Christ. And if, if they're already a Christian, because there are a lot of Christians in the circles that we live in, try to encourage them. Here's something I learned. Here's something I grew in. John MacArthur, great old famous Bible teacher, he said this, all Christians are teachers. You just might have a really small class. Listen, you may be the youngest and dumbest Christian in this room, right? Somebody's got to be. <laughs> but I promise you, there's somebody out there that knows less than you. And so, just pray, God, would you give me an opportunity to meet somebody younger and dumber than me? That I can love on, that I can help them. And listen, that's a prayer God loves to answer. If your heart is, I want to be involved in this. I want to be involved in making disciples of all the nations. And yes, this is a missions conference. We're going to talk about going overseas. But listen, if you don't do it here, why do you think you do it over there? Start doing it here before you go over there. Or going over there is likely just going to end up being a vacation with Jesus tacked on the back end of it. Be faithful here. Be faithful in your family. Be faithful with your friends. Look at the second half of verse 20. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's another way that you know that Jesus wasn't just talking to the 11 disciples. 
he was talking to all Christians for all time because the 11 disciples were all dead after a few decades. And Jesus is like, this is about to the end of the age. All the people trusting in Jesus. Listen, he's saying, I am personally going to be with you. You may not be able to see me. You may not be able to touch me. You may not be able to hear me with your physical ear. But I will be with you. And guys, faith comes into play because I think you already know this. There will be many days in the Christian life where it doesn't feel like Jesus is near, right? You can't sense Him. You don't have any peace in your spirit. You don't feel like you have any special courage for the day. But in faith, I have to say, I trust your promise, Lord Jesus. I trust you're here empowering me even when I don't feel like you're here empowering me. Now flip over just briefly to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 7. Just a few books over to the right. Acts chapter 7. Jesus was saying, go to all the nations. And what we find when you get into Acts, Jesus has ascended by now. The apostles have been leading the church. church has been growing like crazy in Jerusalem. Jerusalem had grown this mega church. Probably had 20,000 people. But this whole go to other nations, they hadn't really been doing that part very well. But part of what we're going to look at super briefly are these two guys named Stephen and Philip. And they seem to be these new believers that had got involved in the church. And they weren't even like the full-time, up-front missionary types. They weren't like the preachers or the apostles. They were more like the back office guys. Hey, we need somebody to take care of the money. We need somebody to buy lunch. We need somebody to handle the really practical details. And you got these two guys named Stephen and Philip. They start doing that. What I want you to see is, even in their free time, the guys that were in charge of the more practical necessities of life, like food and money, which are important, right? I'm a fan. Even Stephen and Philip, in their free time, found times to preach the gospel. Talk to people about Christ. Stephen preached so well and so often that a lot of people that didn't believe in Jesus got mad and they killed him. So, so hear this and know this. I hope you're getting fired up about living the rest of your life, giving your life away for the sake of Christ. But that doesn't mean it will always be a bed of roses. That doesn't mean it will always go well with you practically. That doesn't mean that it will always be easy. But it's a worthy cause anyway, right? He was willing to suffer for us. We should be willing to suffer for others. So pick up at the very end of the chapter, Acts chapter 7, skip down to verse 58. Then they cast him, this is speaking about Stephen, they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of his execution, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him, but Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and continued, committed them to prison. Now, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. So you see what happened there? Stephen's trying his best to be a faithful witness, trying to make disciples of the nations. 
and it got him killed. But two things you should notice that happened that were good. I mean, that's about as bad as it gets. You could get killed doing this stuff. But two good things come out of his death, at least. If, if you know the Bible at all, this guy Saul that just kind of gets randomly mentioned, Saul was there collecting people's coats, arresting people. You know who he turns into? Paul, a super apostle, who wrote like a third of the New Testament, who planted all these churches. Guys, there are going to be times where you feel like you're doing your best, praying for your roommates. Some of y'all may go on Project Lead or something, spend two years sharing your faith and not see anybody come to Christ. But I've heard multiple stories like this. People spend two years in another country praying and sharing and they feel like they see no fruit. And they get home. And about a month or two later, you know what happens? They get a phone call. And the guy they've been spending all this time with, praying for, crying for, pleading with, trying to talk to about Christ, finally came to Christ. Don't get overwhelmed when things seem to go bad for you. Part of what Jesus is saying when He says, I have all power, is that even when it seems like I'm not working, even when it seems like things are all working against us, they're actually working for us. Because He is definitely going to win in the end. He's in the process of winning right now, and He loves to involve us in the process. And we've got to have the faith that even when it seems like the deck is stacked against us, we persevere because we trust His promise. Flip over to chapter 11. Because the other good thing that you see is the apostles, kind of the famous professional Christians, like the paid staff, the paid campus outreach people, so to speak, they all stayed in Jerusalem at the megachurch. Somebody had to take care of that. But everybody that had enough money to get out of town, once the persecution started and everybody's getting arrested, they're running for their lives. Which, that's a good thing to do sometimes. Stay alive, live to fight another day. But look at what it says happened in chapter 11. And just skip down to verse 19. Chapter 11, verse 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. So they're going to different nations now. Speaking the word to no one except Jews. But they're still kind of playing it safe. I'm a Jew. I feel comfortable talking to Jews. We look the same, right? We talk the same. I'm talking about a Jewish Messiah. That's easier. I'll start there. I feel safe. Verse 20. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists. Those were Greeks. Also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. You remember Jesus' promise? Behold, I am with you always. In the age, there it is. Years later, Jesus is sitting on the throne in heaven, and yet His hand was with them. Metaphorically, giving them power to lead other people to Christ, even in hard places. What's this going to look like practically in your life? I don't know. I do know, I heard somebody else say this, and I love it. There's really five Gospels. You know, we talk about the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. There's really a fifth Gospel. It's you if you're a Christian. And you probably have friends and family members that they're not interested in reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John right now. They are interested in reading you. Are you real? Have you changed? Do you walk the walk or just talk the talk? 
And you don't have to be perfect, but as you live this stuff out in front of your friends and your family and your loved ones, God's hand will be with you to bless you and see other people come to Christ. Let me just tell you one kind of close-to-home story. I do a Bible study with a fraternity at Samford University, and there was a guy in that fraternity years ago. He came in. His name was Alan. And I tried to talk to Alan a couple of times, but Alan was the kind of guy that like, he didn't really like to come to Bible study very much. So he really didn't want to hang out with me very much. And when he did hang out with me, like I'd almost corner him. I mean, he knew what I was about, right? I'm the campus outreach guy. So he would just talk so much so that I could barely get a word. I mean, I talk a lot, but this guy could talk. I could barely get a word in. And I think he knew it was like a defense mechanism. He didn't want me to talk to him and ask him a bunch of questions about Christ. But he had roommates that loved him, and he would spend more time with them. He felt more comfortable with them. He'd let his guard down, and they kept sharing the gospel. And all four years, people were loving on Alan, sharing the gospel with Alan. You know what? Alan did not become a Christian before he graduated. But his roommates didn't give up. They kept spending time with him even after they graduated, moving on in their careers, loving on After graduation, Alan finally comes to Christ. Married a Christian girl, got involved in a good church, he was growing, and then not long after that, he died. Sad in one sense. I'm mean, sad for his wife. I hate that for his wife. But, but the joy is, everybody that knew Alan was for sure, he's with Jesus. Because it was a clear, radical conversion late in his short life. You never know how God might be using your efforts that seem like they're falling short right now, guys. Persevere in them. I often wonder about what the 11 disciples must have thought and felt on the official first Good Friday that nobody called it good back then, right? Especially the Apostle John. He followed, he's the only disciple that literally followed Jesus all the way to the cross. And think about it. He's standing there when he's like, I put all of my hopes, all of my dreams, all of my expectations in this man, this Savior, this Jewish Messiah. And then he just hung his head and died. And guys, there are going to be times in your life, if you walk with Christ, you're going to feel like all your dreams, all your expectations just came crashing down. It's not going to make sense. You're not going to feel like Christ is with you. You're not going to feel like His power is there. But two days later, John had all the answers he needed. Because Christ had risen from the dead and conquered death, hell, and the grave. He has all power. And He says, trust me. Even in the darkness, even in the hard times, even in the overwhelming, sad, scary circumstances, and go with my power, with my presence, make disciple of all the nations. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are not sufficient for these things. But You are. Give us wisdom about how we can best Use our lives to your glory and bless the work of our hands. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of Truth Wars with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We want to remind you to please leave a review for this podcast wherever you listen and to share this podcast with any friends or family that you think may be blessed by Olin's teaching.